I hope that all of you know what a gem we have in our praise team. Um, if you were to go online and the songs that, that I just did with the praise team being the, the musical instruments behind the songs that we've done already this morning, it's as good or not better than what you're going to hear on YouTube. I mean, we have a gem in our entire praise team. And, um, and so we, we ought to give thanks for that uh, on occasion um, or all the time and uh, not take it for granted. Uh, God is good. So thanks be to God for that. Um, there's a gospel song, and many of you probably either grew up singing it or I know you've heard it. And it's called, When We All Get to Heaven. And so, many sing that song. And, and you've probably sung that song before growing up or in your church as you uh, were growing up with your parents. And um, the, the thing is, we, we sing the song, When We All Get to Heaven. But the thing is, is not everyone that sings that song is going to heaven. Nor is everyone that is good or kind or gives to the church or regularly attends worship or goes on a mission trip or knows scripture or has called Jesus Lord. Many think and some claim that because they either raised their hand as a pastor said, raise your hand if you want to give your life to Christ, or maybe a pastor or a friend or someone said, all you've got to do is just follow me and say this prayer and you will be saved <clears throat> all the time never really meaning it, never surrendering, never being known by Christ. They never surrendered to the will of God and truly made him Lord over their life. It's sad, but it's true. And, and so we are finishing this Sermon on the Mount. There's one more movement that'll be the 2nd of July. But up until now, the entire sermon is telling us about how we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, how we're to live for Christ in this lost world. And I mentioned last week that this final section has four movements, and each movement has two different things involved, <coughs> singing and preaching. Hopefully the voice will hold up. And so, you know, we looked at two paths, one that's narrow and one that was wide. Um, we looked at Jesus mentioning two trees, one that bears fruit, those who are following Christ, and one who does not bear fruit is not a follower of Christ, but yet a follower of the false prophets. 
And in two weeks, we'll look at two foundations. But today, we're looking at two destinations. Two destinations. And what is involved is relationship. And if you don't get anything else this morning, you need to know that there are two destinations, and it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 uh, this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, did and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning, I want to use uh, three C words, words that begin with C, and kind of flesh this out. And, and the first word is that of concerning. And, and we immediately are met with a really great challenge when we see this, this passage. And, and it's Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone, which means some will and some won't. A true disciple of Jesus, one who has surrendered their life, one that is following and obedient to his word, one that has made him Lord, is going to enter into heaven. But those who are not his sheep, who, even though they may say, Lord, Lord, will not enter. And so simply by saying, Lord, or as we will see, doing works, is not the litmus test to determine whether one is really and truly a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. It is concerning because we see that there is a division into two groups, two destinations. The first group enters heaven, the other group will not, and that means their destination is hell. They will be eternally separated from the Father, from Christ. Do you remember the parable in Matthew 13? It's in verses 24 through 30, and it's called the the wheats and the tear. And if you remember in that passage, in that scripture, uh, that the Lord, as he's telling the parable, he says, look, let the tares grow up with the wheat. Don't go and pull them out. 
ahead of time. Just let them grow together. And then at the end, at the last day, when we harvest, when I come, then they will be separated, the, the wheat and the tares. And the tares will be gathered and burned. In Matthew 25, there's even a more detailed recording of what we see as this end times. Because you see, in essence, this passage this morning is an eschatological passage. It's an end times passage about what will happen. If you remember Matthew 25, the first parable that Jesus talks about is the ten virgins, and there's five that are lazy and do not do what they're supposed to. There are those who do, and they are separated. But the key verse as Jesus is teaching comes in verse 31 and to the end of the chapter. And I thought about just paraphrasing this this morning, but the more I thought about it, I really do think that we need to hear what Jesus says because you see it's concerning to me. I, I think it would be concerning to you that there are two destinations and there are those that may think that they're headed one way when in essence, they're not. Listen to what Jesus says as he's teaching. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the end times. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. We see that there is separation into two groups. And then the king, capital K, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was a prisoner, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, capital K, king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So let that sink in. And then in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left. Depart from me. Accursed ones. 
enter into the eternal fire which has been prepared for you, for the devil, and for his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to the ones of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous but the righteous to eternal life. There are two destinations, and it should be concerning to us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, folks, you are on the right in the righteous camp, on your way. But there are those that pretend to be saved, those that we even know that are lost. And Christ calls us to proclaim the good news, to feed the hungry, to take care of those around us. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. It was concerning to him. It should be concerning to us. I was talking to someone this week, a friend of mine, and we were talking about the Great Commission and this call of the church to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. This Great Commission. And he said, so often what disturbs me is those that are in the reform camp, those that claim Presbyterianism, predestination, just say, well, I just sit back, God does the saving, I don't have to do anything. And he said, that's just not scriptural. We have a part to play. God has called us. It should be concerning to us that there are those that are lost. <clears throat> it should bother us <clears throat> that there are those who even claim to say, Lord, Lord, but yet do not know the Lord. The second word this morning <clears throat> is that of comfort. And, and the word comfort should be comforting to us because it reminds us that we are not saved by our works. Jesus said in verse 22, on that day, meaning the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we come and prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name, didn't we do mighty works in your name? And Jesus says to them, 
depart from me, I never knew you. It's interesting that the, these, these questions that are in this text are affirmative. They're, they're rhetorical questions because Jesus knows the answer. But yes, they prophesied in Jesus' name. Yes, they cast out demons. Yes, they did miracles in Jesus' name. Or at least that's as the Holy Spirit has inspired for us to hear this. There are some commentators that say, well, maybe they did these things, or maybe they thought they did these things, or maybe they just said they did these things. In the scripture, it says, they say, yes, we did all of these things. But none of those things saved them. Not one. It should be comforting to us to know that our works do not save us. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by God. It is a gift of God. And somebody should have said, Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved by, through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That is a verse just like John 3.16 we should remember and memorize. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are not saved by our works, but... We have works because we are saved. We, our, our works are to show the fruit or be fruit of our salvation. So it's comforting to me to know that I am not going to be in my flesh but have the confidence that God has saved me, transformed me into his likeness into his family, adopted me into the kingdom of God. And those who are truly saved, if you are sitting here this morning or watching online and you have truly given your life to Christ, then you are truly adopted into the family of God. And that should give you comfort. It should give you peace. Jesus clearly says, he who does the will of my Father will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The issue is obedience. When we talk about the will of God, so obedience is about being obedient to God and to the word of God. John eight thirty one. If you abide in my word then you are truly a disciple of mine. If you abide in my word, you are truly a disciple of mine. Salvation and obedience work hand in hand in the salvation that God has given us that is inseparable. The Hebrew writer in 5.9 says, He became to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. 
And so Christ became, for all who obey him, that salvation that is eternal in the Lord. So knowing the will of God, having understanding about the will of God is our understanding of our salvation in him. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we can understand the will of God. See then that you walk circumspectively, not as fools but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord and be filled with the Spirit. And so how do we understand the will of the Lord in our life? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us his Spirit, and he gives us understanding. He gives us wisdom. He makes us wise as we yield to him. And then remember that as a product of our salvation, as a product of our obedience we are going to be in the word, worship, glorifying, honoring him, praying, communing together, and offering Christ to all that we meet. You you see, love of God and love of man is the obedience that God calls us to. The third word that I want to use this morning is corroboration. And it reminds us that, yes, we need to know Christ, but what is more important is, does Christ know us? Let me give you an example. Uh, if, if some of you were to say to me, uh, do you know who played Columbo? I would tell you Peter Falk. Well, that kind of tells my age, I guess. So, let me pick a different person, somebody that's in uh, an actor today. So, Mark Harmon. Anybody know Mark Harmon? He is the lead character in NCIS. So, Mark Harmon was born in California. <clears throat> he, um, he was the starting quarterback for the UCLA Bruins his junior and senior year of college. In fact, those two years, Mark Harmon went 17 and 5. And he thought that he was going to be drafted in 1974 in the NFL draft. Didn't happen. He didn't get drafted. He had gotten his degree. He was honors. Soon whatever that is. Soon cum laude or whatever it is in, as he graduated. And he went into business and then went into acting, and we see him today as we watch NCIS. He married Pam Darber. You know who Pam Darber was? Mork and Mindy? That's his, that was his wife. And in 1996, Mark Harmon heard cars crashing out in front of his house, on the road in front of his house, and the story is that Mark went out and saved two young men who had gotten into a crash. He saved their lives that day. So, um, it sounds like I know Mark Harmon. I've read about Mark Harmon. I I know Mark Harmon's name. I know what he looks like. 
I know some of the things that Mark has said. But Mark doesn't know me from Adam. Who's Adam? Anyway, that same, yeah. Anyway, I have an Adam. He doesn't know him either, so. But Mark doesn't know me. Just because I know a lot about him, though I have read about him, he, he doesn't know me. And, and many people will sit here and say, I've read about Jesus. I, I know who Jesus was. They say he is the son of God. And Mary was his mom, and he started preaching at 30 years old. I know that. And three years later, they say, the Bible says that the Romans put him to death. And somebody went to a tomb, I'm not sure who, and the tomb was empty, and they said he rose from the dead. I know all that because I can read it. But that doesn't mean that Jesus knows them. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing Jesus, but Jesus knowing us. That collaboration that that happens, that representative, that uh, relationship that happens. To know in Scripture, if you were to go to the Greek and look up to know, it's an intimate relationship. It was used throughout Scripture, throughout the the ancient world and in the Greek world as uh, intimacy. And in in fact, with marriages, uh, they would talk about to know one another. And and we see it in Scripture where God's special intimacy with the nation of Israel, his chosen people, how he trusted them at times, and times he did not, but that was his relationship with them. Nahum 1.7 says that the Lord knows those who take refuge in him. The Lord knows those that are in relationship with him. You remember in John's gospel, there's um, the, the, the seven I am statements, and I taught on those during the spring on Wednesday night. And in John 10, we have the good shepherd. And and as Jesus is teaching about the good shepherd, he says, my sheep, the ones that belong to me, know my name, but I know them. We, We know each other. And so when we say that Jesus is my shepherd, he is my Lord, if we are in a personal relationship with him, then it's because he knows us. It's because he knows us. And as we are in this relationship with him, that give and take, Jesus says, you're mine, and I know you, And you are on your way because you know the only way, and that's me. How precious that is, is that relationship that even this passage in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount gives us this understanding. And so, as we look at this passage and as we think about what I read in Matthew 25, what can make the difference? What can make the difference that we know God's will, 
and that we live out God's will as believers and in this relationship that we know him and he knows us. If knowing God is real, and, and it is, how can we make a difference? Well, the first is, if you remember the video that was shown, the Father's Day video, they did Deuteronomy 4 and talked about uh, loving God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And they went on to talk about us teaching as fathers our children. But as Jesus was teaching in Matthew 22, when he was asked about the, great, uh, the commandment, which commandment was the greatest in the law, he said to them, love the Lord, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, and you know what it says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. And so it is very clear, both Old and New Testament, that we're to love the Lord. But Jesus also says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't read Matthew 25 and that end time judgment of separating the goats and the sheep and the righteous the unrighteous, without hearing love. So, what is love? We turn to 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries... And have all knowledge. Wow. And, and have all faith. So to move mountains. But do not have love. I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions and feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned. But do not have love. It profits me nothing. Paul says, it's about love. This will of God and the difference that we can make is through love. It's not just going through religious motions or thinking that I am good or kind. It's about love in Christ. If I go to church but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I give of my tithes but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I worship and praise God but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I witness to people and invite them to church and do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I study my Bible but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I pray and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, these are great things to have as part of our life, as part of our walk. Certainly, they are rooted in helping us grow in Christ. But everything that I do, everything that Marty does, is to be done in love through Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it is to glorify Him and to honor Him. And when I live into the will of God, 
I cannot help but by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me to love you. To love others. To love my enemies. To love people that have persecuted me or spited me or degraded me. If we are living into the will of God that God has for us, Jesus says in this passage, you will enter into, the, enter into heaven. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's my desire to do all that is pleasing to God. Not my will, but thine be done. Has to be our mantra as a Christian. Being known by God is real. Knowing God is real. And if anyone is pretending, it's not real. I don't know if you noticed in the text this morning, but in the text this morning when the people responded to Jesus, did you catch what they said? Did we not? Did we not? It was self-pointed. It was not, Lord, in your name, you helped us cast out demons. In your name, we prophesied. In your name, we did miracles. They said, didn't we do all of this? Be careful, folks. Because it's not about us, it's about him. It's, it's about living into him, focusing on him and glorifying him because being known by God is real and him knowing us is real. And I guess I would leave you with this. May we all know it's real. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that reminds us, and even in Psalm 139, that reminds us that you know us as we surrender and follow you. And so, Father, I would pray this morning that we are concerned about those who are separated, falling away uh, and not knowing you in any way, may you use us, Father, just to share that good news as we have opportunities. Father, we thank you that we are comforted by knowing that it's not by our works or anything that we can do, but your gift, free gift of salvation is through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father. And Father, we thank you for this corroboration of our relationship that takes place as you call us and we surrender and we become part of your family and, and you are our Father and, and Jesus is interceding and you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us. Thank you. All of this, Father, is your perfect redemptive plan. And so we thank you. I thank you that you know me. 
and I'm thankful that I know you. So, Father, use us to share you and who you are and what you have done in a lost world. May it be so. We pray this in your name. Amen.